Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in the middle of a five-week sermon series that we're calling Gospel Intentionality, where we talk about how we can live intentionally as Christians in the world. This, ser- this series is specifically not about what the church is to be, but what the church is to do. We are a family. We are God's children. But what do we do? How do we act? We're busy people also. Our church is in a very busy area of the country. We have demanding jobs. We have a lot of opportunity to do things that are fun. We live in a great area. We have a lot of opportunity for pastimes. We have a lot of opportunity for different activities that we can do. But what does a Christian or someone who is a part of a church do that's different from the rest of the world? Let me put it like this. If you are a Christian, how is your life any different than those around you? How do you behave differently in your ordinary life? How are your passions and your priorities different than those who you are around? That's what this series is addressing. How do we live intentionally in our own lives in the church with one another? How do we live intentionally with our neighbors? This week with, our, with the nations. Next week we're going to be talking about how we live intentionally in society, ministries of mercy and justice. And then the week after that we'll be talking about how we live intentionally in the workplace, which is not something that many people have even thought about. How do I act uniquely as a Christian in my workplace? You just heard Psalm 67 read, and I don't know of many scriptures that are better for talking about our vision to help everyone everywhere experience the good news of Jesus than Psalm 67. So what I want us to do is to walk through Psalm 67, see what God has to say to us in this scripture, and we're going to be doing that in three points. First, what is the mission of the church? What does the church do? What is our mission? Second, what is the motivation for that mission? And third, what is the method for the mission? What is the mission? What is the motivation for it? And what is the method for it? First, what is the mission of the church. There is no shortage of things that a church can do. Each week, almost, it feels this way at least, each week I get approached by someone else, someone else asking us to get involved in their cause. And they are all great causes. Great causes. We could be doing any number of things And we are involved in many things. That's what next week's talking about, how we are reaching society and active in society. 
But we are a church that wants to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing according to Scripture? How do we live intentionally? Jesus tells us, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. That that is what he is commissioning us to. Those were his final words in the Gospel of Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. That is our mission. In fact, when we think about the word mission, most companies have a mission statement, but the word mission is just the Latinized form of the word sent. It means you've been sent, you've been commissioned, you've been sent out to do something. And we've been sent by God to make disciples. But church, isn't it so easy, especially if you grew up in church, to think about mission as just something that the church does and not the thing that the church does. It's just one of the things that the church does. I love how the authors of a book named Total Church put this. They say mission very easily becomes one activity among others in church life. It sits on the agenda alongside a list of other items vying for attention or it is left for the enthusiast to get on with at the edge of church life. For some churches, mission seems a distant dream as they struggle to keep the institution of church afloat. Putting on a weekly service is challenge enough. And it is. But if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the very thing that God has called us to do. If we're not careful, we can focus on just continuing to exist and not the purpose by which God has called us to exist as a church. We exist not to just continue as a church, not to just make it. We exist to help people experience the gospel. We exist to help religious and irreligious people to become gospel people. Mission isn't just something that we do. Mission is what we exist to do. And when we lose that mission, when we lose sight of it, we cease to do the very thing in which we exist to do. Many of us, myself included, can get very comfortable attending church for personal benefit without any thought of how God has called me to reach the nations for his name. That God has sent me on a mission. Friends, Christians, God has called you. He has sent you on a mission to make his name known. So let's walk through this psalm together. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Psalm 67, verse 1. And it says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This psalm kind of starts a little surprising. When I, I've heard this psalm many, many times, and I've heard it mainly being quoted with the next part that says, let the nations be glad, let the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you. But I haven't actually noticed that it starts with this very famous blessing that we see all throughout the scripture, that it just says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. We often pray for God's blessing, but we, do, we, do we think about what it actually is that we're praying for? When you ask God to bless you, what are you asking for? 
the thing that we most desire in life and that all of our other desires are pointing toward is God's presence himself. So when it says, may your face shine upon us, what he's asking for is personal relationship. We all know, we're very familiar with this these days, that to meet someone face to face is to have more of a relationship with them. And that's what we're pleading for God to do. Meet with us face to face. Make your face to shine upon us. May we behold your glory and your majesty. Bless us and be gracious to us. Give us more than what we deserve. This psalmist is asking for an experience of God's presence and his power. He's saying, I want more of you, God, in my life. He ends it with Selah. I don't want to overlook that. You see it in the the scripture. Selah is just this word that's difficult to interpret. It's a Hebrew word. It pops up often in the Psalms. And it's probably a word reminding us to reflect or a musical direction. because these were originally written as songs that we would sing. What the psalmist says next is actually rather surprising. So he says this blessing from God, shine your face on us, bring us your blessing, be gracious to us. And then what does he say next? He says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is surprising because the psalmist is an Israelite person. He's not generally concerned about all nations because the Israelites were God's chosen people. But he's saying, may your name be known among all nations. There's a vision for God's glory to be known among all people woven in to the Old Testament, woven into these old sayings that we see all throughout the Bible. The blessing of God is meant to send us on mission. The original author didn't know how God would do that, but we do. God, in his time, sent his son to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world so that we might be able to go throughout the whole world and tell both Jew and Gentile of the glory of God. We get the narrative of how this happened in Acts chapter 1, when it says, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A few things to notice here about how God's God's message is going throughout the whole world. First, and this is just powerful, God never sends people on mission without first promising his presence. How does the Great Commission begin? And behold, I will be with you always. Now go and make disciples. Here he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. He never sends us on mission alone. He always promises that he will be with us. Second thing that's really unique about this verse is that this is the summary statement for the entire book of Acts. When you look at the book of Acts, what happens? First, you see them being witnesses in Jerusalem, and then you see them being witnesses in Judea, and then you see them being witnesses in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And I've also often heard people say, so what's your Judea? What's your surrounding area? What's your Jerusalem? What's your Samaria? 
What's your end to the earth? And while I think that's a fine way to think about how God might be sending you on mission, it's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying that we are in the ends of the earth. Boston is the outer ends of the earth, and we are still trying to reach people to tell them about God's good news that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to share. Friends, Christianity is a worldwide religion for the true God who created the universe. Christianity is a worldwide religion for the true God who created the universe. And I just need you to think about that. We oftentimes come to Christianity with our cultural baggage. And we think that Christianity is designed for a certain type of person. But news to us today is that Jesus had brown, brown skin, brown eyes. He was from the Middle Eastern nation. He was not a white conservative man from the, from the, uh, from the middle of America. We can't come with that cultural baggage to Christianity. In fact, when you think about the fact that Jesus was who he said he was and lived when he did and where he did and that Christianity is a worldwide religion, a lot of the confusing parts of the Bible start to make more sense. Because a lot of the confusing parts of the Bible are confusing because of the cultural context in which we live in. For example, Many people in our day and age, in this Western society, really dislike what the Bible has to say about gender and sexuality, but love what the Bible has to say about justice and mercy and loving your enemy. Now, it's a worldwide religion. So if you take that same message of the Bible to someone in a Middle Eastern country or a more traditional society and teach them, they might think the opposite. They might accept what the Bible has to say about gender and sexuality. In fact, they might think it's too liberal for, for them. Um, and then at the same time, they might not really get the love your enemy thing. That might not make sense at all in different societies. You see, Christianity is not an American thing. Christianity is a worldwide movement, and God is doing more in other nations than he's doing in our nation right now. We're just a part of this thing and a small part at that. So that is what is the mission of the church. And second, what is the motivation for this mission? What is the motivation for this mission? Now, I don't know if you grew up in church that talked about missions, but if you did, you probably grew up like me, and you know that the primary motivator for mission is guilt. (laughs) When I was in seminary, There was a very famous speaker, and I won't tell you his name because many of you will have heard of who he is and have heard him speak. He came to my seminary, and he gave a very rousing um, uh, sermon. And I don't remember the text, but I do remember that he talked about the realities of hell, and he talked about how people were going to hell, and that we must be Jesus' hands and feet and go throughout the world and tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. I did not disagree with anything that he said. But then when he came to the end, he said, so commit today. You don't want to see people go to hell. Stand up if you will commit to go on missions today. And I'll tell you, I stood up and I didn't go anywhere that year. In fact, everyone in there stood up. We all felt so guilty and so committed and we believed what he said. But I think there's a reason why we didn't go, and I think that's because guilt is really just a temporary motivator. 
Because when you look at what motivates people for God's mission, it's not guilt here, but gladness. It's not guilt, but it's gladness. The best motivation for mission is a white, hot passion for the glory of God. The best motivation for mission is a heart that has experienced the power of the gospel. Because if you've experienced it, mission becomes far easier. You want to tell people good news. It's good news. That's why you want to tell them. Verse 4 says this, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The motivation to share the good news of Jesus must be found in a heart that's glad, a heart that's glad and delighted in what God has done for us. If you're not personally glad, pleased, singing for joy, pleading for the presence of God, seeking his face in worship, as this psalmist does, how could you possibly be sent on mission? Because that's the goal of our mission is to get other people to that place. How can we ask people to go where we're not willing to go ourselves and where we're not at? But when you delight yourself in the Lord, when His face shines upon you, the natural response is to be glad and to share that gladness with others. This is why new Christians are oftentimes the best evangelists. They're the best ones to tell other people about Jesus because they're just so excited. It's so fresh. It's new. And they know how good it is. Oftentimes they're so excited and they misstep as they go along the way, but it's innocent and it's pure and it's good. I pray that our church would be full of people who personally experience the gospel and the sweet joy of following Jesus. I love how the same authors of that book I mentioned earlier put it like this. They say, mission begins in our own hearts as the gospel word of, God, of Christ crucified is effectively applied by the Spirit. Mission has to start here before it can go out there. What John Piper has to say is really helpful in this as well. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. We often act, act like it is, but it's not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne, missions will be no more. Worship is also the fuel for missions. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. That's what he says. So friends, do you lack motivation to live on mission? Do you lack motivation for God's missions? Do you feel somewhat apathetic when we start talking about missions? I know when I hear a sermon starting on missions, I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. In fact, I was not looking forward to preaching this one. But then as I dove in it, I said, this is such sweet goodness. It is really what I needed. The antidote for apathy is worship. It's coming to the Lord. Corporate worship, personal worship, daily worship. It's a heart that's on fire for the goodness of God because He has been good. But what if this type of worship is hard for you right now? 
What if you just haven't felt it in a long time? What if you've felt distant from God? How do you rekindle this fire? I'll tell you what happened to me. This week, Ben was sharing a story, uh, our, our worship leader Ben, he was sharing a story about how uh, there was a time in his life when he was waking up, I think you were a coffee barista, so you're used to waking up this early at this point, and he was waking up at 5.30 every morning, though, because he just wanted to read his Bible and spend some time with the Lord. And he's like, that's hard for me to do right now. And I was like, I should do that. So he wasn't saying he's doing it right now, but he was saying he has done it, and I just thought, I need to do that. So I started waking up early this week. Not saying it's going to last forever, but this week I did. And I opened my scripture, and I saw this verse, and I think that it will be helpful for you. It's rekindled a fire for the Lord for me. Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It just helped me understand the posture. Right now I have baby birds in the backyard who aren't able to feed themselves whatsoever. A a sweet bird made a nest. But they open their mouths wide and the mother fills it. And that's the image that I have. If I open my mouth wide to who God is, He will fill it. If I ask Him to fill me. Guys, this is all over the Scripture. The Scripture says, Seek the Lord and He will be found. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. The Scripture says, Romans 5, that the love of Christ has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to receive that? Are you putting your in the place where you can receive it. It's right there. It's right there, church. And if you don't put yourself in that place where you receive that nourishment from Christ, if you aren't pleading, show me your face, may your face shine upon me, you'll never be motivated for missions. You'll never be motivated to live for Christ. You'll never have that gladness that this scripture is talking about. Friends, we must go to God, open mouth, open heart, open handed, and say, all of me, I just want all of you. God is not hiding. People act like God is hiding, like he can't be found, like I don't know how to fix my spiritual life. Friends, go to him. And he will say, kill the fattened calf. My son has returned. You'll put a ring on your finger and a cloak on your back. Because he's kind. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you feel weary? Do you feel heavy laden? When was the last time you went to him, church? I can't say it enough. If you don't worship him, you can't live for him. You can't receive his blessing if you don't ask for it. But it's so simple. Come to me. Seek me. Find me. Ask and you will receive. Seek. You will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens that door, I will come in and eat with them. Revelation 3. Seek the Lord while he might be found, church. Third, what is the method for this mission? How is God going to do this? How are the nations going to be glad? It doesn't say. It just says, let them be glad. 
It doesn't say. We don't learn it until later. I love how God answers this prayer written thousands of years earlier through Jesus Christ. Because the nations are glad now in a way that they never would have imagined then. He answered this prayer. Let the nations be glad. Jesus came and the nations are singing his praises, friends. I'm so thankful to be a part of the most diverse religious movement in the history of the world. And it always will be. The method of this mission is through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, the saving power of God is known all over the globe. This is what we call the gospel. It's this good news that Jesus has opened it up for all people. It's not just God's chosen nation of Israel. The good news is that God has sent his one and only son into the world to pay for the sins of the world. That he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that he might die, that he might bear the penalty for our sin, be resurrected, and that through our faith in him have life forever. I love how Romans 10 makes this. He makes it really clear in Romans 10. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. There it is again, guys. How do you have the riches of the Lord? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Don't miss this next part. Bestowing his riches on who? All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. Everyone, open to anyone. And it's gladness, it's joy. This passage continues about explaining God's method. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God sends his people on mission. That is the way he carries out his his mission. That is the method of his mission. Now, if I was God, trying to come up with the most efficient way to get my name out there, this would not be the way I would choose. Because... I'm a knucklehead. I'm scared. I don't like to put myself out there and risk uh, being rejected. Um, I'm anxious about that. I'm selfish. And I know that you guys are with me because I know about people. That's how we are. But yet, that's the way that God's chosen to do this thing. And one of the reasons why is because God loves to use weakness to show his power. Does he not? He uses weakness to show his power. And we are about as weak as it gets. And so he shows his power for how his mission moves forward through us. We might ask ourselves, who am I to tell other people how to live their lives? Who am I to try to change people's minds about religion? Friends, you're not doing it under compulsion. You're not telling them, turn or I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You're saying, here's good news. Won't you live into it? Can I give you a gift? 
No, you don't want the gift? Okay. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't have to add any pressure. But can I give you a gift? It'll bring you ultimate gladness and joy, and you'll be singing praises for the rest of your life. If you've had that gift, wouldn't you want to give it away? You're ambassadors of God telling them good news about the creator of the universe who wants a relationship with his creation, and it's based on historical fact. Sometimes we forget that good news brings gladness. We think that this good news just uh, brings guilt, or this good news just brings uh, fear, but this good news brings gladness, and that's why we share it. A heart that is full of, with worship for God finds it to be an easy task to live on mission for God. And so how do we do that, church? How do we do this? How do we live intentionally? This is God's plan for us to live intentionally and to share his good news. Let me just give you a few next steps. If you want to do this, if you want to fulfill God's commandment to make disciples of all nations, first, worship him. Have a white, hot, fire, passion for Jesus himself. Worship him daily, weekly, with others, by yourself. Wake up early, open your mouth, let him fill it. Second, cultivate a vibrant family life in the church to welcome others into. How are we to call people to follow Jesus when we have no family for them to join into? Friends, as we move out of this pandemic, let's intentionally step back into each other's lives. Intentionally build that vibrant family life. We need to have a church that's just booming with the love of Jesus for one another. Let's just be vibrant family. Third, build relationships with those who don't know Jesus. That one seems pretty simple, but you got to have it out there. You have to build a relationship. You can't just hurl Jesus bombs at people. We intentionally pray for those who don't know Jesus, and we share the good news. You have to eventually share that good news. A lot of us are good at building the relationships, but not good at turning the corner and just saying, hey, what do you think about religion? Can I tell you what I believe? And the other way that God has used this on mission is we as a church support missionaries all over the globe. We send 10% of every dollar that comes here, 10 cents of every dollar that is given to the church goes directly out of the church to support God's work all throughout the world. We support a mission agency that has over, over 3,000 missionaries all over the world. And we support church planting. We are a church plant. We are a young church, and we can't lose sight of that, that we're here with a mission, that other churches, actually, we're the church that they support. <laughs> like, isn't that kind of funny to think about, that we are the ones that are reaching people with the gospel, and other churches are supporting us to do that. But we also support other churches. We want to be a church planting church. So for the first time, we've taken on a church plant that we can support financially and with prayer and resources. There's a church, uh, I, I was praying through this a few months ago and asked our church network called Harbor Network, our church planting network, if there was a younger church that we could come alongside. We're a few steps into the church planting process and we need to build this into our DNA. And so they introduced me to a pastor named Byron Codgel. Uh, who's planting a church in Daytona Beach, uh, Florida. And I said, that sounds like a good place to visit. I will take that one. And uh, he, uh, it was a really great connection, though, because it's in an urban area, it's in a college town, 
Uh, he is planting a multicultural church, which we also are a multicultural church. Uh, he's an African-American guy. He actually worked at the same church that our former pastor, Claude, moved to work, work at. And so we have all these connections with him. It just made a ton of sense, and they're just now launching. And so we're going to come alongside him. Lord willing, he's going to come up and, pre and preach for us. And we're just going to be able, be able to be a part of what God's doing down there, just as they're a part of what God's doing here. And so many have been a part of it. And we're so thankful for those people who have been a part of what God's done here. And we pray that he will do more. We want to see this church filled with people from every nation, because the nations have come here. And we want this church to be filled with the glory of God and the worship of God that we might live together in, in that family. There was a man named C.T. Studd who was a famous cricket player in the late 1800s. I guess that was a big deal back then. When he felt God's calling to be a missionary in China. And he went, and I love this quote that he said. His, his name's C.T. Studd, and he said, When I die... I want all hell to rejoice that I've been taken out of the fight. That's what I want, friends. May this be the vision for our lives as well. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. Will you join me as a worker? Will you join me as a laborer? Someone who's full of worship, but laboring for Christ. A heart that worships Jesus joyfully lives on mission for Jesus. One way that we worship Jesus is through the communion meal. And each week we celebrate a communion meal. And when we do this, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And this isn't our normal way of celebrating communion. We don't always have these little packets. But uh, over the next song, I will guide us through this uh, receiving of the meal together. Um, and we'll take of the bread and of the juice. And if you are a believer here, we encourage you to receive the meal. Receive this holy meal from God. And if you're not a believer here, you're not sure where you are with Jesus, this is the only part of our worship gathering that we would ask you to maybe not participate in because the scripture says that it's for believers, and we want you to be honest with yourself first and foremost. But instead, we would ask you to receive the good news of Jesus, to place your hope and faith in him fully, and take communion with us next week. Trust him. You can just pray and seek him today. As the scripture says, if you call out, you will receive him. If you call out, he will save you. So let's pray together, church. Father, as we come to this final meal, as we come to this final time um, where we respond to your word, we pray that you give us a heart of worship and a heart that's just glad because we want to see the nations glad. God, give us a bigger mission. Give us a bigger vision for mission. Help us to reach our neighbors, but help us to reach the nations. God, help us to have strategy and the resources required for that. And Father, as we respond to you in this time, may our hearts just be full of your grace. May your face shine upon us, and may we be delighted with your presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.